Welcome to Thrive Lathrop Podcast. Here at our church, we believe that everyone can thrive. Make sure to subscribe to our channel and enjoy this life-changing message. Good morning. Hey, can we just give it up for the worship team and the entire Dream Team this morning? Connect, safety, kids, everyone, production, worship. They are incredible. We cannot do what we do without you, Dream Team. I'm so grateful for you. For those that aren't serving today, but are on the Dream Team, we love you. And I am just so excited to be here in church. Aren't you glad you came today? Come on. I'm so grateful that you didn't go camping or go to Disneyland. I'm just going to be honest. I was like, man, it's going to be five of us for Fourth of July weekend. But there's a little bit more than five, and that's great. And so uh, excited to be here and excited to jump into what God's doing. First service was incredible. And uh, do me a favor one more time. Can we give it up for everyone that's watching online this morning? Thank you, everyone that's watching online, YouTube, Facebook. We love you. So glad to have you join us this morning. Maybe you're on vacation or maybe your friend just kept bugging you and you finally decided to watch it. Thank you for joining. We appreciate it. And so today, uh, very excited to be continuing our series, Your Story Matters. And uh, I am so excited to be interviewing our Spanish pastor, Pastor Luis Hada. Pastor Luis, thank you so much for uh, being able to do this and saying yes and Uh, We're going to do it interview style today. We thought we'd change it up. Uh, And uh, I just am so, um, man, just after this morning, I just can't wait for people to hear your story. And so do me a favor, before we jump in, um, just tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, your family, how long you've been here at Thrive, and and what you do as Spanish pastor. Because for those of you that do not know, we have a bilingual service at 12 o'clock every Sunday. Um, We are so passionate about reaching people here at Thrive. And so we're gonna reach them no matter what language. It doesn't matter if it's Spanish, it doesn't matter if it's English. Uh, We're we're gonna reach our city with whoever because we believe we're called to reach anybody. It doesn't matter what you are, what nationality you are, what ethnicity you are. If you look around, you can tell you're probably not next to the same color skin unless they're your family. Come on, let's be honest. And, and I love that because that's what heaven looks like, right? And so uh, we do bilingual because we uh, felt we were doing Spanish only and we merged to bilingual because we felt that God is giving us a calling to reach uh, even more people in the Spanish English language. And uh, they even grew out of the chapel this year. They were in the chapel. They couldn't fit in the chapel and now they're in the sanctuary. Isn't that awesome? Like just God's growing us. And Pastor Luis and, 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 uh, and our Spanish, part of our dream team that's in Spanish is, is leading that. And so tell us a little bit about that, Pastor Luis. Uh, yeah, thanks, Pastor Chris. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah. So, good morning, church. Buenos dias. Nice. Gloria a Dios. Aleluya. All right. Well, I just got that from Google Translate this morning. Oh, Google Translate. Google Translate. Come on now, my best friend. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, we've been serving uh, here. We came to Lathrop about 2017. Uh, Adriana and myself. So some of you uh, women here, if you you go to the women's uh, all the women's cool stuff, way cooler than all the guy stuff. Um, <laughs> And you've met my wife, likely. Um, and so uh, we're just so blessed to serve here in such a healthy church. Uh, at some point in serving here and doing things, we kind of began to hear God tell me Spanish. And I was like, that's totally not God. Like, I learned English, you know, from school. And I lost Spanish when I learned English. And I was like, that can't be. Um, my wife was 200% agreeing with me and was like, yeah, no, that's not God. And so we kept, you know, kind of, he kept Speaking to us and speaking to us. So I finally came uh, to Pastor Eric. and I said, hey, Pastor Eric, um, I really think God's calling me to Spanish for a little bit. 
And uh, he said, well, we've been actually praying for someone, and uh, we think it's you. Um, so I, needless to say, you know, Google Translate became my best friend. And uh, we've been able to just see God's hand. Not only we noticed that there was a, uh, a joy of their Spanish families, but they were multi-generational families that also spoke English. So we had kind of a mix of Hispanic families that needed English and some that needed Spanish. And so we launched Bilingual and Pastor Cruz was like, I think it's going to work. And we outgrew the area. So now we're here. And it's, it's just such a joy to be able to serve people and love on people. And so, yeah. Yeah, and, and Pastor Lise, you're doing a, a great job. Pastor Lise uh, took over the Spanish part of our church from Pastor Lee, who we love and admire. We honor him. Uh, he was here for about nine, ten years leading that part of our house, and now you're leading that part of our house. And I love it that you went from being like the Spanglish pastor to the Spanish pastor now. And uh, I, <laughs> maybe sometimes you revert back to the Spanglish pastor. Just but a little bit. You're doing a great job, and, and the team loves you dearly, and uh, so incredible to have you. And uh, I, I'm so excited to be able to walk through this part of uh, your story and for our uh, house to kind of get to know who you are. And, and that's one of the exciting things I shared about this first service, uh, about this series, is so many times uh, in churches, you normally kind of only know the lead pastor, and maybe the executive pastor or the campus pastor ever talks other than the lead pastor. And then one more pastor depending on your area. So if you're a kid, you're going to know the kid's pastor. If you're a teenager, young adult, you're going to know the youth pastor, so on and so forth. But this series kind of allows us to know the whole team and to walk through what God has done in everyone's life, uh, at least on the staff here at Thrive. And I think that's a really beautiful thing. And uh, before I even get into the story, I've actually known Pastor Luis for about 13 years now. 13 years. 13 years. I met you when I was 17. So uh, I'm going to be 30 next year. And so about 12, 13 years. And um, I met him at a church in Hayward. He's from Hayward. He's from the Bay. And I uh, had a really close friend who was a youth pastor out there. And we would do a lot of stuff together. I would preach at his church often. And uh, I remember I was going on missions. I was, I was a missionary for a couple years. And uh, I remember going up to Pastor Luis. He was just Luis then. And uh, just saying, hey, can you support me on missions? Because how many know when you got to raise funds for a missions trip or you're going to be a missionary? Uh, you just ask everybody. And so I was like, hey, bro, would you be willing to sponsor me $25, $50, $100? Because I knew he worked at a bank, so, like, he could afford it. And actually, he did. He, not the $100. I still love you, though. Uh, but... Um, <laughs> But he, 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 he was one of my first, I forgot what even the amount was, but he was one of my first supporters to say yes to, to me going on missions and following God and, and all that God had for me. And I just think it's crazy now, 12, 13 years later, full circle, we're now on the same team, reaching our city for Jesus. I would have never known. And so um, good. I appreciate your heart, Pastor Luis, to, to just go after God and, and, and to... And to partner with people and, and, and believe that others are called to do this thing with Jesus as well. And you, you've done that since I've known you. And I love you and your wife and your daughters, Elena, and you guys are just amazing. And so let's jump right into it. Uh, want to hear about you. Want to hear about your story. Uh, I believe it's, it's such a powerful story. I really do. And so let's just jump right in. Your story, kind of go into it. What was your story like before Jesus, your story growing up? We'll spend a few minutes on that, and then we'll go from there. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. So, um, so growing up, I uh, kind of experienced a lot of abandonment generationally. Uh, a lot of uh, uh, my great-great-grandfather, great-grandfather, grandfathers, they were all orphans. Uh, so mainly because of, of uh, the war when U.S. took over Mexico and invaded and kicked everybody out and had the gold rush, uh, 49ers, for those of you fans. <laughs> and so um, we just experienced a lot of territorial wars in Mexico, uh, you know, a lot of people coming back, refugees, and then fighting for land and stuff. So uh, alcoholism was a really big thing in our uh, families and all of those generations. And so they literally died, like, drinking, like, because of alcohol. Um, at a very young age, and so that's why they would leave their uh, their children as orphans. And so, same happened to my dad. Is he he saw uh, he was 12 years old, and my grandfather had told him, "Hey, you drink another time, you, you know, you're not gonna make it." And so my grandfather drank, and and that was that. Um, so my dad saw him, and then uh, after he passed, my dad got uh, sent out here uh, to the United States to try to kind of get some opportunities. I actually didn't want the siblings to fight over the land because my grandfather, when he passed, he signed over the deed to another family, like lands and like lakes and rivers, like a lot. Wow. And so they don't really know how that worked out. And so my grandmother said, you know what, let's just, let's just ship everybody out before things get worse, yeah, sure. you know. And so my dad came out here, was living with uh, cousins that uh, were using drugs, substance abuse, marijuana, uh, party scene, alcohol. And so my dad was a musician and a singer. So he hit that off pretty quick, got right into the music scene, started performing a lot, and was a regular user as a teen. So mom, kind of same thing from that whole scenario. Uh, they made it out here because uh, my great-grandfather on my mother's side uh, was an engineer for the railroad, so that's what they needed at that time. And so, but they found out he owned a lot of hotels, had a lot of money, and uh, he also had multiple families that nobody knew about until... He passed, and then everybody kind of found out wow. as they're splitting up the inheritances. Yeah. And so what happened was my grandfather on my mom's side was extremely angry. And so uh, very abusive, uh, uh, very controlling. So my mom grew up under that kind of a household. And so now you got mom and dad, uh, you know, living in South San Francisco, and, and they meet, right? And, and of course, uh, everything that you can expect that would happen from that kind of a background begins to happen, sure. right? Um, they meet, they uh, get pregnant, you know, a teenage, like my mom's 16, my dad's like 17 and a half, and so they get pregnant and they have my sister. Now, of course, today, nowadays, like, they say, like, no way, like, that just, that's a horrible idea. Like, you know, you don't have, uh, you know, your, your child, that, and that's kind of a scenario, uh, but it gets worse, right? So uh, after that, my father gets uh, deported. Uh, and so now my mother is living by herself, uh, living in someone's living room with my uh, sister. And then my dad kind of, you know, sneaks his way back in to the United States. And they hook up. And then all of a sudden, again, she's pregnant again, right? And so a worse idea now. It's like, you really shouldn't have this baby now. Yeah, you already have one. You already got one. Yeah. And look at how bad this is, right? And, like, you don't really want number two. Um, but, you know, they, they kept me. Um, and so I was born uh, two years, I mean, two months early. So I was uh, born at 2.2 pounds, uh, which wow. is like super tiny. Right, right. And uh, they were testing out the incubators at that time. So they said, hey, you got to sign this waiver. We, can, we might be able to keep him alive, but it's going to burn his eyes. He's, he's going to be blind. Um, so I'm actually legally blind. Mm. Uh, it was, most doctors can't help my kind of eyesight or make glasses or prescription for me. 
So I have to go to like special doctors. Um, they just made, like in my mid-teenage years, they actually developed contact lenses that can work for people with my prescription. Um, so praise God for that. Um, but yeah, um, so, so here I am. Uh, fun, funny story is uh, I, I learned this about me that as I, when I was a kid, I would rock myself and soothe myself to sleep. They were like, oh, he doesn't need us to put him to sleep. He'll do it by himself. Because in the incubator, I learned how to soothe myself. They couldn't touch me for two months when I was born. So not, nobody can touch me. So I learned how to soothe myself, put myself to sleep, right? And so then uh, I'm three years old. Uh, my older sister's five. And uh, my parents had already split up again. Uh, and my mother couldn't take care of us anymore. So my grandmother had just come from Mexico. And so my mother went over to her and dropped us off. Mm. And uh, so we, we met my grandmother. And then she was like, okay, that's that. You know, we didn't see her for many years. Um, so in that household, uh, one of my uncles, we experienced, uh, my sister experienced sexual abuse, oh. a lot of other kinds of abuse. And yeah. from that, I kind of got to see things. And I had a lot of images in my mind so uh, that I was able to bring up to her. Like when I was 12, I was like, I, I don't know what happened. I don't know what this means. But I remember seeing this. Right. Does this make, what is this? What does it mean? And so stuff started coming out to light through a lot of that abuse that we experienced. Um, and then... Uh, when I'm about six, seven years old, my mom comes back. And so she takes us with her. And then uh, um, my dad ends up reconnecting with her. And they get remarried. And they have a third sister now. And then just back uh, and forth, back and forth. It's, it's just yeah. they kept trying. You know, and he, <laughs> he just kept on trying. I get it. And so, um, again, it was really bad, really abusive. The alcohol and, right. and, and substance abuse, marijuana use was, was just normal. Mm -hmm. Right? But they kept trying. And so... Uh, at some point in all of this, uh, my aunt, my uncle, they, they started going to church in uh, South San Francisco. And um, all of a sudden, they invite my mom. And so my mom starts going to church. Come on now. And then she starts acting weird. <laughs> she starts doing wild stuff. Like okay. she starts going to the pillow and praying over the, my dad's side of the bed <laughs> when he's out drinking. Right? <laughs> Um, like, she was just praying over the bed, and she was just doing stuff. And we're like, what are you, what's wrong with mom? Like, what's she doing? All of a sudden, like, my dad would come home drunk, and she'd ask him, like, hey, you want me to make you something to eat? You know, you hungry? You feeling all right? And I think even my dad was scared at the moment. Like, what are you doing? You know, what's going on here? Right, you know it's bad when, like, dad's scared, right? And, and shout out to praying moms. Come on now. <laughs> Who, even when it doesn't make sense to pray, they still pray. She wow. prayed. It didn't make sense, but she prayed. And so I remember at some point, cool. my dad's like, you know, I'm going to go to church and find out what they're teaching you over there. What's going on? <laughs> right? And so we all go to church. I had to get dressed up. They kind of, you know, what, what's going on here? You said in first service, that was the first time you ever got dressed up, really. Like, like that, like where it was like they made me. Yeah, like I had old to, school church. Come yeah, on. Yeah, turtleneck with the V-neck sweater. You all remember that? Yeah. Turtleneck so like, with the V-neck Got the necklace going down, right? Don't judge me. Don't judge me. All right. <laughs> so, I'm, so here I am. I'm dressed up. I'm in church, and it was just like there were seven people in the church at the beginning, just a piano, and we were like, what? And, but the, the preacher was so confident. He knew what he was talking about. We were like, man, like this is good. My parents kept coming. My dad got involved playing on the worship team, playing music and stuff, and everything was going great. Like I remember, I vividly remember like about a month in, my parents went to Costco for the first time. And they came home with a big box of cereal and a humongous jar of mayonnaise. And I, I was just like, whoa, right? Like, oh, my God, we've never experienced having food like that in the house, right? 
And like then it was signs of healthiness for the first time first in their relationship, time ever. marriage. Yeah. We got food, right? <laughs> you don't understand. Growing up, growing up, I thought the police was the moving company. Because every time we moved, they show up. Right. Oh, that's rough. It was rough. <laughs> they came to make us move. You know what I mean? They came to make us move. So, so yeah. having food like that was a big deal. So we ended up having dinner for the first time together. And I'm like, this is like Twilight Zone. Like, wow. what, what are they going to do? Like, what are they going to tell us? Like, is this the end? Is this it? Like, I don't know what's going on, but this is weird. We don't eat together. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So all, uh, you know, a few months in, then my parents decide to have a marriage date. Now they're working on their marriage. And so the story says that my mother was looking at my dad, and she had felt bad because he was stressing so much and from kicking so much substance abuse. that she was like, you know, you want to have a drink? want to have a drink while we're eating and so i'm not demonizing you know if, if, if you drink or not um but for our family for our curse and our generations right. like it's a no like right. absolutely not like we're not dying anymore we're yeah. you know what i mean and so um he had a drink and everything started to spiral from there mm. and so eventually they ended up separating again uh divorcing stopped going to church but i i fell in love with the church I kept going to the church. Like, I would go all the way out of my way just to go to church, man. I, I would, like, it would take me four hours to get to church. Wow. I would walk home from school, walk to the BART, take the South Hayward BART to Hayward BART, take a 22 bus, Dublin Express to Dublin, catch another bus to Danville, walk to my uncle's house in Danville, and then drive all the way to South San Francisco. Like, wow. I loved the church. Yeah, yeah. I would show up. I would set up. I was playing you know, the worship team. I just... I was having a blast. Yeah, you were like, all this in. was great. I was yeah. all in. I was yeah. like, this is God. This is good. And all of a sudden, as I'm doing all of this, and my parents were not going to church, I met a girl. Uh, she became my girlfriend. I was sick. She cut school, came over the house. And so we fornicated. Mm. And uh, I felt so guilty. I felt so much shame. I'm, I'm an early teenager now. I'm, and I just, so I went to the church leadership. The church had grown now about 300 people. You know, that was a big deal back then. And so... It's uh, still a big deal. Let's just still be honest. Still a big deal, right? Yeah. yeah. It's like... <laughs> and so, all of a sudden, I told the church leader, I said, hey, this is what happened. I confessed. I feel, I feel bad. I don't know what to do. I, what do I do? Yeah. And so, they, they sat me down for six months and said, you can't play. You, you know, you can't do nothing. And, mm. and I, I figured, okay, this is what's necessary. That's fine. I'll take it. Right. I didn't know, though, that it really meant, like, I'm not going to talk to you no more. Like, no one's going to, you know like engage with me anymore and uh, even one day I came in to still try to help set up because that's kind of what, what I did sure. and they told me you can't even stand up on the altar like this is a holy place and you messed up like you 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 can't be here and so um I took it at first because I was like hey okay if this is the way the way works if this is the way church works then okay yeah, and like so you, like you understand and you know you messed up and there's some weirdness to that but Right? We, there is consequences to sin, and there's consequences to our action, and we got to maintain a standard. You kind of knew that, but you didn't understand the capacity of what that was, right? Yeah. Right, right. So I'm kind of learning this way. Right, and, for sure. And then uh, all of a sudden, six months are up, so I come up to the leadership team. I say, hey, so six months are up. Uh, you know, what's going on? What does this look like? And they said, hey, we've been praying. We don't feel like God, like, told us, you know, you need another six months. Mm. So then I was like, Okay kind of took it in and now the the guy that was playing drums before me uh, I mean that was playing there already he was really good 
And so he came up to me right after that conversation, like a few days later. He wasn't part of the conversation. And he says, hey, I just want, are you ready to play again? I said, what do you mean? He says, I just found out I got to go back to my other church. He's like, so I'm not going to be able to play after this Sunday anymore. So, you know, you're going to have to play again. And I was like, that's weird. So then that Sunday when he notified the leadership he wasn't going to be able to play, they decided to call me into a meeting and then tell me, hey, so we actually changed our mind and we, th we want you to come back and play again. Okay. And so I immediately was like, well, wait, you said God told you that I needed to wait six months. Right. And then I was like, wait a minute. You know what? I already knew he was going to leave. I said, so this is not God. This is you. Wow. And I became so upset as a teenager. My comprehension, I was so upset. I became angry. I was like, you guys, like, you, this is not God. Like, this is, this is not. Right. And I was like, I went through all this and this, no. And so I was like, I'm not ready to come back. Yeah. And, I, and right, I think that story, it, it, it shows that, yeah, there's some times where there has been, maybe some people can relate to this, uh, spiritually unhealthy leadership, right? Like, you know, pastoring is hard, right? We have to sometimes, I, I can attest to that, to be honest. Like, you could feel this pressure to make something happen. Uh, the beautiful thing about Jesus, though, is he doesn't call us to that pressure. Like, we're called to do the right thing. And so either yeah. they heard from God and they disobeyed, or they never heard from God and it was something personal. Either way, super dysfunctional and unhealthy leadership, which I'm sad that you had to go through that as like a pastor and your pastor, you're a pastor too now. And like here at Thrive, we try our very best to make sure that, hey, you matter yes. more to us than what you would ever do for us. Yeah. That's a core value here for us at Thrive. Like you, you matter way more. And maybe there's times where we feel disconnected, but that's just because life gets in the way. There's no malice to that. And, and if you have to sit down because you're struggling with something, that doesn't mean we hate you. Uh, but that was the feel you still got. And um, it makes sense that that ended up triggering now this whole idea of, well, God's not real and I'm mad at God and the church is fake. And so tell us a little bit about that. So you end up going into, you just kind of I just leaving. It. Yeah, I you just, just went I, off. I, I was like, God ain't real. This ain't real. Um, right. and, and so kind of what tipped it off was, uh, I, I started messing up, started using drugs, started drinking, right. uh, hanging out, you know, wrong crowd, and uh, I started stealing cars. And so I showed up to a youth event with a stolen car. Uh, it was a network youth event, so a lot of different churches were there with a lot nice. of youth. And uh, I showed up <laughs> with a stolen car, and one of the pastor's daughters, who wasn't doing very well, and her friend, mm. ended up coming with me. And that was the night that the police had set up. They, they were looking for me, and so they ended up blocking off the street. And at gunpoint, they pulled us out of the car. And so pastors had to go to the police station to pick up their children. Um, oh, that must have been so much fun. It, it was. And so I was actually <laughs> like, so there was a notification that went out to say, like, you cannot come to, and you can't visit any of our churches. Like, wow. You can't That's hard. be around. And so I was, even more, it was like, I, I was angry at them. They were angry at me. And I was like, I'm done with church. I'm done with God. This ain't real. And so I just went all in. Yeah. I went, I, 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 you couldn't, you can talk to me about Jesus. You can talk to me about God. Like I was like, I was so numb. I was so anti-God that like I, I ridiculed the church. Yeah. And so yeah. what did that lead to? You, you, we shared that a little bit first service, but that led to what, what was that moment after that? And then we'll get into when Jesus shows up in a minute, but yeah, yeah. what did that lead to? 
I, I mean, it just led to me going spiraling down. I, obviously, you know, drug use. I was smoking marijuana often, kind of coping. I drink alcohol all the time because I worked at a liquor store through high school. Mm. So, I mean, every morning it was like, you know, drink and, and go to school. And so, you know, yeah. that was my thing. It was my MO. Um, I was just so angry and careless. I didn't care. I moved away from my mom, living with my dad. And my dad, because he was an addict, he didn't care either. So I just kept on. I could do whatever I want, show up whenever I want. Anytime the police would just drop me off at the house again, my dad would be like, sure, sure. And then that, you shared a little bit this morning, that kind of leads to your, your first relationship. Tell me about that, your first relationship, your first marriage. And then that kind of sets up yeah, where Jesus yeah. comes in. So um, now I've been doing this for a few years, and, uh, and I have another girlfriend, and uh, she's pregnant. And so I'm trying to kind of make it happen, bring her in the house, like, uh, trying to be responsible in some way, right? Uh, kept trying to keep a job down but couldn't hold it. I filed 10 W-2s for that year of work. Wow. Like, I just kept trying, and I just couldn't, you know, I, I was so angry. I was yeah. so, every, every time somebody would say something to me, I was angry. I could turn into violence. And uh, so then uh, we finally have a, a daughter, so Priscilla Mercedes. Uh, she was born, and uh, well, because of my drug use, uh, which I believe that was likely it, uh, a lot of her organs were born on the wrong side. Mm. So she was born with kind of everything flipped. Uh, she was missing ventricles from her heart to her lungs, so her blood wasn't getting enough oxygen. And so the fix was, uh, they were like, hey, you know, we're going to do some open heart surgeries. And so they started with one, they went to two, then they did a third one, and I would just watch her, and I couldn't take it, man. I, like, I would see her struggling after each surgery, as a baby, and she would just moan and then give her more medicine, and I was just there, and I couldn't bear seeing my daughter in so much pain. Yeah. And so one night, October 4th, it was actually the morning, um, I'm in the hospital room in the bed and just kind of sitting there, and I'm watching Benny Hinn. He's doing healing revival and he's praying for people for healing, and I was just like, man, this is not the business. You know, this is like, and so all of a sudden, I get this idea, and I said, God, and I was angry, and I said, God, if you're real, I said, can you heal my daughter? And I said, but if you're not going to heal her, I said, would you please take her? I don't want her suffering anymore. Please do something. And so I must have fell asleep in that position. The nurse woke me up. They took me downstairs and said, uh, we, we tried everything we could. And there was nothing we, more we can do. And we're really sorry. And she passed. Um, and so after that moment, I, it was really interesting because it was devastating, but I, I was, mentally, I was like, okay, God. I felt like God had responded to me. Interesting. And so it was, it was weird because I was like, okay, okay, God. I kind of was like, okay. Uh, kind of like Job. Yeah. <laughs> just like, well, wait, just don't move. Yeah. Yeah. And then after that, um, baby mama uh, also left. Uh, we had like... Uh, I think I might be on the Guinness Book of World Records for the shortest marriage ever. It was like two weeks. <laughs> we got married and we're like, no, this is not going to work. Right, uh, totally right. not a good thing. And so she moved away uh, with her family. And so I'm, I'm now alone uh, again. And uh, my dad moves away. And so uh, my mom calls me to move with her. And mm. here I am still kind of coping with drugs and alcohol. And my mom's like, hey, I got a sofa. You can stay here. I have nowhere to stay. Um, 
car gets repossessed. I lost my job. I'm, wow. I'm sick now with bronchospasms. I don't know what's, like, what in the world is going on. But my mom has started going back to church again. Come on. That's good. Right? So she's like, come stay on my sofa. And, and you know, uh, she started going back to church. And she would go to church every day on Thursdays and Sundays. Yeah. Yeah. And you were at rock bottom at this point. You're living I'm, with your I'm mom. Like, I'm still, I'm done. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. yeah. I'm still using. I'm still disappearing. I'm, I'm sleeping on the sofa and just trying to make it happen. Right. Yeah. And then, and then in this part of the story now, because obviously you're on the stage, so the story doesn't end there. Thank you, God. Um, go ahead and share with us how Jesus steps on the scene. It's one of my favorite, favorite stories, seriously. Yeah, so uh, on a Thursday night, which my mother typically went to church, um, she'd go straight from work, and, and somebody, one of her friends would pick up my sisters. And so I, I really wanted to just, I was done. I wanted to end my life. I was done. And so I was determined. So I had a blade. I had some special scissors that I can cut my veins with in the bathtub. So I waited for my sister to get picked up. And then I went to the bathtub and I laid in there, put a little bit of water. And I was just trying to find like, what's the easiest, slowest way to do this, right? Um, painless, but you know, I want it to happen. Like, I don't want to fail. <laughs> I don't want to fail suicide, you know? Uh, I just wanted to go. Yeah. And uh, as I'm sitting there, uh, all of a sudden, somebody walks in through the door, and uh, my mom walks to the door of the bathroom. She knocks on the door, and she goes, hey, what are you doing in there? And I said, uh, I'm going to the bathroom. What are you doing here? <laughs> and then she stayed on the door, and she wouldn't leave. And she starts talking to me. She says, you know, I'm just so sorry. I'm so sorry for abandoning you. I'm so sorry for the abuse that you and your sisters have experienced. And uh, I'm so sorry for hurting you guys. And then she flipped it and started saying, I love you so much. I went to you every day when you were in the incubator. And I would just ask God, please let me hold him. Please let me touch him. And she's like, you have been such a joy to my life. And she just began to speak love over me. Until I got to the point where I, I, I immediately was like instantly, I was like, what am I doing? I looked at the blade and the scissors as I'm laying in the bathtub wet. Going, what am I doing? Like, I felt so much love. And so I was kind of confused. I was like, what, what, who, what do, I couldn't understand. So a couple of days later, I came up to my mom and I said, mom, I said, why did you come home on Thursday? Why didn't you go to church and you let my sisters? are like, who does that? And she says, I was driving to church and I was singing worship songs. And the Holy Spirit told me, Go home. Your son will be there, and he needs to know how much you love him. Wow. And so, yeah. I knew from that moment Jesus was real. Right. And he loved me so much. Right. He loved me so much. Yeah. I, I, I don't know what you're doing out there, but I'm trying not to cry up here. I don't, I don't. Man. I, I. Pastor Juan said something this morning at, at the first service in, in the worship set. He said that um, some of us in the room, God's trying to uh, kind of awaken us from this idea of bored Christianity. And I, I firmly believe that one of the antidotes to getting bored or having complacency is to be reminded what Jesus can bring you from. And as I sit on the stage with you, Pastor Luis, which 
I shouldn't be sitting on the stage with you. Like, we shouldn't be friends and, you know, we shouldn't be here. Um, that God intervenes in people's lives. It doesn't matter how dark it is. In the darkest moment of your life, Jesus shows up. Jesus shows up. And, and how long now, I, I think I asked you this earlier, how, how long has it been? Now, following Jesus. You've been following Jesus how long? Uh, 22 years. Come on. 22 years following Jesus. Come on now. 16 years married to my beautiful wife, Adriana, and uh, five years with our daughter, Zolena. Yeah. Wow. That's so incredible. Great. So I, I ask every pastor to just kind of, just kind of, a few more minutes. We're going to close right now. But, but if there was a verse you could connect to your story, something that, uh, if, if some of us have already connected to the story, that's awesome. But just to kind of challenge us and give to us what, what would that be if you can share that that would be great yeah yeah so um so first off is uh, Romans eight twenty eight was something a lot of people would tell me when I started going back to church you know all things work together for good and I was like I couldn't comprehend that so I was like no no it doesn't you know yeah well you know you haven't lost a daughter and a wife and your car and your job and everything so right. the, no I had a really difficult time with that verse I actually hated it for a long time every time I hear someone talk about it I was like yeah. like no there's nothing good I you know I'm gonna follow Jesus but Man, there was nothing good about all that stuff, right? And so um, until I read verse 29 one day, and it said, and we know that the good is that you're being conformed to the image of the Son. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh. Come on. I looked at my life, and I was like, I am so much better today. Wow. I look so much more like Jesus, right? right? I, I'm, I'm getting healed. Like all these good things were happening, and uh, uh, everything was just God was doing that. I was like, oh, my God. Like that's so true. Yeah. God used all of that, and now I'm better. Um, all the anger, all the all the the hurt, all the pride, the, uh, just the resistance to God and the resistance to anything uh, uh, biblical or, or or Jesus was just it was gone. Yeah. And I was like, I'm so much better today. And so one of the key scriptures that had stood out to me is that for all this time and me growing up in a church, I always felt like I wasn't enough because I I made so many mistakes. I was so bad, and and, and like like network churches were like against me. Right? And so um, I was like, man, like, I'm just not enough. I'm not good enough. And so Matthew 10, 25 is what stood out to me. And Jesus is speaking to his disciples right before he sends them out. And he says, it is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master. Yeah. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of this household? And see, what had happened was is that I, I didn't realize that Beelzebub here means, uh, he's, he's actually the second in command to Satan. So Satan's condemner, condemner of the brethren, right? Pride comes before a fall. Well, the second, Beelzebub, is actually pride. It's the demon of pride, right? And so Jesus is saying, when you follow me, you can overcome the spirit of pride, wow, right? Because what's happening is there was so much anger, there was so right. much pain, so much hurt, that pride came in. Uh, so, see, I got to tell you this. So pride flourishes in unhealed pain. Come on. Right? If so you're not good. bringing it to Christ, if you're not bringing that to Jesus, if you don't open that compartment of your heart right. and you think you can function, let me tell you, pride is, is beginning to settle in. Yeah. And it begins to separate you because pride comes before a fall. Right? And so what Jesus says is, it is enough that you look like me because I'm going to change you to look more like Jesus. Right. Right? It's enough. You're going to overcome pride. But you've got to follow me. Yeah. And I, I, I think that's so good because I think if there's anyone that would say they had an excuse uh, to hate the church and, 
you know, even you got saved, you met Jesus, but you didn't have to go back to church. You didn't have to go to Bible college. You didn't have to go get into your discipleship program. That's a little bit later in your life. And, and now as a pastor, it, you probably have the story to say, yeah, I can do that. But no, you, you allowed God to heal the hurt in your life, which ultimately heals the root of pride. Because what, what, what the enemy would love to do is get you to hate what God loves and love what God hates. Okay? I've learned this. So good. The truth is, whether we like it or not, God loves the church. He loves his bride. It's his body. Uh, even though sometimes I don't even like it and I'm a pastor, I got to get over it because it was his idea. And there is so much that God does in the context of the local church. This is how God brings revival for thousands of years and wins cities and nations. It's through the gathering of people who love Jesus. And as they gather together and pursue him wholeheartedly, then God begins to move in that context of family. That's what we're trying to do here. Pride will disconnect you, which will produce hurt, and then hurt will produce pride. It's this like Petri dish of just a bunch of things being in or produced that are unhealthy. And what I love what you're saying is the antidote to that is to be like Jesus, to serve like him, and as we follow him, we are conforming to the image of the Son. We are conforming to the image of who Jesus is. That's where I believe a lot, of pe a lot of the world has some hard times with Christians is because we're still prideful and we're still arrogant and we're not becoming like Jesus. And why am I saying this? Because I believe Pastor Luis is one of, not just because you're on stage, bro, um, the best examples. If you've ever met him or talked to him, he carries the humility of Jesus on his life, right? Matthew 5, blessed are those who are meek for they shall inherit the kingdom. That's you, bro. Like since I've met you, but what's crazy to me is the thing you walk in now is the thing you struggled with the most as a Come teenager. On. Yeah. And for some of us in the room, understand that the thing you struggle with is because God's trying to do the opposite in your life. That's and for good. those of us in here that can relate to that part of the story where I have church hurt and I have church pain and I don't like the church and I, I had bad church leaders and and I, I, you know, I don't even know how I feel about Jesus and I'm rejecting God. Listen, can I tell you that there's something greater? Can I tell you that Jesus is so in love with you and that God is gonna find you a church? Maybe it's this place. If it's not, that's cool too. We'll help you find somewhere else. It's all good. Because my heart is that you would follow God with everything on the inside of you. My, my heart is that Jesus would do something in your life that would be powerful and that you would fall in love with him. And uh, I, I believe even as for this house, that challenges me to, to make sure to fall in love with the things that God falls in love with. Because that's, that's what you do when you conform to the image, right? You become your master. You are now doing what he does and you are loving what he does to do. And the opposite of that, which is the statement that you made in Matthew 25, Matthew, is that when we hate what God loves, we are coming into alignment really with the things that the enemy would try to do to disconnect what God's doing. And so I love that so much. Do me a favor. Give it up for Pastor Luis one more time. Come on. Incredible, incredible story. 
Thank you again for tuning into our podcast. For more info, please visit our website at thrivelathrop.com. Have an amazing rest of your week.